Thank you for downloading from Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. You can find out more about Ravi Zacharias and the team at www.rzim.org. We do recognize grief, brokenness, despair, but we have a hope. We don't grieve as the rest of the world does where we say, well, this is what it is. We say this is how it feels, but it isn't what it ought to be and isn't what it will finally be. Because we do believe in redemptive agriculture. When God comes back and says, Jesus says, behold, I make all things new. Hello, and welcome to Just Thinking. Have you ever struggled with depression? Maybe you're dealing with it now. How do you reconcile the idea that Christianity can't contend with the fact that many Christians wrestle with depression their whole lives? Let's listen as RZIM speakers Nathan Rittenhouse and Sean Hart examine this question and share some encouragement for you or others that might be struggling with depression. Here's that first question now. The first question we have today says that in your talk, you noted that it's in the Christian framework that contentment can be found. Yet there are many men like William Cooper and Charles Spurgeon who suffered horrendous depression despite being very strong Christians. So how do you reconcile the idea that Christianity can't make us fully content given the fact that many Christians wrestle with depression their whole lives? That's a fantastic question. Thank you so much for asking that. And it's important that you ask that because I guarantee that you are not the only person in this room that has that question. So I'll say a few things maybe in starting, and then, Sean, you can jump in there. Um, the, part of the reason that I also appreciate that question is that it, it points to the reality of what I'm trying to speak into. I hope I'm not, um, you don't feel like I'm trying to sell you an overly rosy view of, of reality. There is deep brokenness and heartache and hurt in the world. Some of those are things that other people have done to us. Some of those are... Um, just physical, chemical things within ourselves. There are a whole uh, realm of different reasons for that. And so there are people who have been phenomenally faithful Christians, even great preachers, as you mentioned, that have deep, deeply wrestled in their mind. Their journals are fascinating, uh, and they give me deep hope for humanity in the midst of that, because while simultaneously recognizing the, the turmoil of life and the brokenness of that, they still did hold on to something that was deeper even than that pain. And so for me, one of the things that's been fascinating is actually watching Christians die in agony while thanking God for the sweetness of his presence in the midst of their pain. And so by all means, it is not a removal of that brokenness from us. We recognize that, hey, you know what? I didn't complete the story for us there. God sets people off on this adventure and then they mess it up and that there is brokenness that comes into the world, uh, some of it for various different reasons. And so it's an important question that we point to and say, this is not a, it's not an emotional uh, fix to anything that's permanent in that way. It has to go deeper than that. There has to be a connection there. I think one of the, the trouble uh, in particular with some maybe of those types of wrestlings with depression or mental anxiety is that there's a stigma about that, that that means that there's something fundamentally wrong with me um, as if, you know, I break my leg and you make fun of me for being hurt. I mean, there's a different stigma that happens with some of uh, those deep longings and wrestlings. And that's one place where community can be uh, phenomenally helpful for us to answer the question of, can I be fully known for who I really am and still deeply loved? 
And that's the thing that Jesus then speaks to, not the perfection of who we are, but the brokenness of who we are, and then speaking into that and saying that I, I still deeply love you. All of the men of God, I mean, even in biblical examples of Paul, who I quoted earlier, talk about wrestling with things that he asked God to take from him and were not meant to be removed from him uh, this side of eternity. And so we do recognize grief, brokenness, despair, but we have a hope. We don't grieve as the rest of the world does where we say, well, this is what it is. We say this is how it feels, but it isn't what it ought to be and isn't what it will finally be. Because we do believe in redemptive agriculture. When God comes back and says, Jesus says, behold, I make all things new. That the formation of the fullness of what it is that is perfected, perfected in the image that he gave us as humans, but also in the creation of the world, is something that will be restored. And so we wrestle and we live with that, but then we also have a hope, and that's the, the hope for the future, of things that have been promised to us that will be brought to fulfillment in that time. So thank you for that. The, you're really, you're hitting out a really good question that often comes up of like, I'm a Christian, a child of God, why, do, why would I still suffer? Why would I even still in, endure with some of this? And I think sometimes if we look at ourselves in our own situation and we keep our eyes there, we can maybe forget even some of the greater purpose that God would have for whatever it is we're going through. And I think of, you know, earlier Nathan talked about uh, this guy Paul who was stoned, beaten. He was, he was definitely put through a lot of pain um, in his life as a Christian, which I think really, following, looking at him and Jesus, it really gets us out from saying, well, like you said, become a Christian like your life's all rosy. Like it's not, it's not that. But I think there's something that he wrote to one of the early churches that I think could really help us. It's in the second letter that he wrote to a group um, called the Corinthians. And this is what he says. It says, Praise be to the God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. It goes on to talk about this, this comfort. But what if you be everyone who became a Christian no longer suffered at all? It, you might think it's a, it, you might think it's like well that would be a that'd be a easy easy sell to people because you know all the people have no suffering that become Christians but because we live in a broken world what what a great thing that God actually allows us to come to Him for our comfort and in that we learn to be comforted by God and in that we can then comfort others this this idea that we we receive comfort. And because we receive comfort in these things, then we're able to also give comfort from, from that. So yes, I may experience certain things, people experience horrendous things in their life, but what if we can then look outside and say, well, how can God use this for me to actually be a comfort to others? To say, now, now come to the one who's comforted me amidst the pain that I'm in, amidst the brokenness that I'm in. So it actually gives a solution to a broken world uh, to go to the, the true hope that you, that you spoke of. Yeah, and I think it's also important to realize that a lot of systems of thought about the world reduce humanity either just to the physical or just to the spiritual. And the, your view of that will influence in the way that we work through a response to that, but Christianity embraces both of that. And so there are things that can be addressed at a spiritual level, but also things that can be um, treated in a physical sense in level two. And so it's important that as Christians, we hold both of those together as we think about what it means to be fully human and to bring restoration to that. Thank you for a really good question. That's great, guys. 
So the next question is in reference to the book, The Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster, which was one resource that helped this particular questioner become a Christian. They mention that one of the first disciplines that Foster outlined was something that seems largely ignored in today's Christian society, and that is meditation. In fact, meditation today is usually used by large groups to help people keep their emotions in check. With this in mind, what do we see in the scriptures or from Jesus that help us to live with the sort of meditative component of our thinking that is also largely celebrated in other traditions like Taoism? Yes, thank you for that question. That is an awesome one. I really appreciate that because Christianity does have a deep and rich history of uh, writings on meditation. And it also is something that's very popular in our world today. Uh, but there's a, a key distinction here between those forms of meditation that I want to outline. The little book, uh, again, by John Jefferson Davis, um, Meditation and Communion with God, is a helpful read of this because it actually calls into question if we truly understand what it means to be human from a biblical perspective and what does it mean to have the capacity to meditate. What we often see in more of a, uh, a modern atheistic or maybe Eastern spiritual um, cultural appropriation version of that is that the meditation is an inward focus into who I am and it's stabilizing by looking inward. And that the peace that it brings is by my ability to tune out everything else. Whereas with classical Christian meditation, meditation on scripture, meditation on the person of God, it's a system in which we open ourselves up to revelation and inspiration and being fed through scripture and by the Holy Spirit from the outside. And so the posture is the same as far as maybe um, what we're seeking, but the direction of that information is different. And so that goes back to what I was saying tonight. Is it, a, is it an externally imported system of satisfaction or is it something that we can cultivate within ourselves? And so that's the distinction that I would make between forms of meditation. Are we looking inward? Uh, and if you're involved in some sort of that meditation, I would encourage you to go back and read the, the religious literature around that and to look at some of the, the pictures and the, and the writings there. Um, because it does become a, an inward focus of the channeling and the alignment of the body and the, and the physical nowness and the understanding of who I am and my connection with reality, whereas Christianity imports that from the outside of saying I'm open to receiving something that's bigger than who I am that I can't conjure up on my own, but I must receive as it is, not as I make it to be. But I want to make that distinction in the difference between Christian meditation and other forms of meditation. Um, because I think that's it's helpful to delineate the difference there. And I think sometimes we don't think about just even how, you know, we have a certain vision of what you say to meditate, what that would look like to do. But I think you could even do this. This is something we all do. It's like, what do you think? What do you cast your mind upon regularly? And I, I think about this practice that we have in, at my house. I have three young children and my wife. And when we eat dinner, one of the things that we do is everyone goes around and says something that their favorite part of the day and something that they're thankful for. And it's just a practice. So what we're doing is what you talked about, like being grateful. This is one of the things we do to continually um, meditate on those, to think about, meditate on those things that we are grateful for. But anyone could do this, right? Any family, you don't have to be a Christian to do this. But one of the key things is we pray before we do it. Now we don't just do this because it's just tradition. We do this because we anchor our gratitude in gratitude to someone. It's we pray, we thank God for our food, we thank God for all of these things, and then we go from this prayer to this God, acknowledging Him. To, it's from there that we then are thankful and grateful. And so one of the key, one of the, I think, 
biggest challenges that you have is if you are grateful, if you go into this meditation of being, okay, I'm gonna be more grateful, well, who are you grateful to? Um, is, a, is a good question to ask yourself. Who are you thanking when you say thank you? And different areas of culture have different placeholders for that. But in Christianity, it's a relational God who knows you, every depth of you, and says he loves you, and you can say thank you to him, and he's actually there to interact with you. We hope today's broadcast has reminded you of the hope that we have in Christ. And if you're struggling with depression or suicide, we encourage you to seek help from a professionally licensed counselor in your local area who's a Christian. While we at RZIM are not licensed and equipped to provide professional counsel, we hope you'll seek help from a Christian counselor, or you can call the U.S. National Suicide Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. You can order today's Q&A series by calling us at 1-800-448-6766 and asking for the title University of Virginia Q&A, or visit our website at rzim.org or rzim.ca for those in Canada. Find out how you can partner with us by calling us or visiting our website. Just Thinking is a listener-supported radio ministry and is furnished by Robbie Zacharias International Ministries in Atlanta, Georgia.